Hello and welcome back to a long-awaited episode of DSLR Film New Podcast. I'm a little sick and under the weather from my Peru trip, but I am back. I am home and I've got Mitch here with me today. Mitch, what have you been up to the last week and a half or so? Planet5D.com. Oh, hi, DJ. I've been working my fanny off on trying to get some great new stuff for our readers, of course, and I'm just dying to hear about your trip to Peru. So let's skip right to that. Oh, man. So uh, I flew into Lima. Uh, apparently, a four-star hotel is not as, as nice as uh, I thought it would be. So uh, uh, no heating or air conditioning and uh, cold showers uh, for the first couple days. I uh, ended up in uh, Cusco for the presidential campaign. I was working on some stuff and then managed to peel myself away for a couple of days and sneak off to the mountain of Machu Picchu, which is very beautiful, actually. I think I even have a picture or two, if I can find one really quick. I I wasn't actually prepared for this show, so I didn't actually bring one up. But it is gorgeous out there, Um, really easy to take, just wonderful shots of everything. I also managed to sneak in here. I can actually show this to you guys really quick. Check this out right there. That's uh, that's the classic Machu Picchu shot. Hung around until uh, three o'clock so that all the tourists had vacated and had the place <laughs> entirely to myself. Apparently, they do the tours between uh, like seven in the morning and noon, and after that, people just kind of mill about until they disappear. So I went on a nice hike, got to get the entire place to myself. Also managed to uh, shoot some volcano festival stuff, and uh, they bring out. They bring out a, a effigy of a dead priest, and they carry him around the town and put him in different locations. So definitely an interesting experience there. I uh, I liked it a lot, and I'm glad I could write that off because it was well worth the trip. Unfortunately, I came back a little bit sick. I've got a, a chest cold, and I'm on some uh, antibiotics. Luckily, I did not end up with Zika, so you know, no tiny tiny baby heads for me. I'm uh, good to go in that route, but uh, what about you, Mitch? <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Um, I, I think that's pretty cool that you figured out the right way of doing it so that you can get no people in your pictures. For those of you listening on audio, you don't get to see nothing. I just put the camera in burst mode, too, so I actually have to sort through, I think I took 2,000 shots while oh I was in Peru. And it's going to be a daunting task of picking out the ones I like and then posting those. So I'm putting that off. Have you ever gone on a trip, Mitch, where you take too many pictures and then yeah. you want to show everybody the trip that you went on, but at the same time, you're like, ah, oh, processing raw photos for a day straight does not sound like an attractive alternative to doing something else. Well, but that's why you have the uh, Google Photos app to let you upload them all and it create it's a little video for you right you just show that off actually yeah it's um google's already added some song and dance and uh turned a few animated gifs into something cool for me so congratulations google photo for saving me some of that work now that's enough about <laughs> uh my trip you got anything else to go on before we move on to the news uh, <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of coughing, let's go to the news and hit the first article. Time 
for the news. As Mitch hinted, the coughing, dying breaths of a last, almost a dead camera, the Digital Bullocks has announced their disassemblement of their camera production line. They are going to stop production of the Digital Bullocks. I believe it's the H16-5XR was the last version. And they will continue to transition into what sounds like basically a blog, if I understand uh, Ellie's post correctly. This is kind of interesting because Mitch and I actually ran into Ellie at the uh, last NAB and she was lamenting the fact that people weren't making enough CCD sensors. Uh, there was quite a, a long spiel about that. And now, incidentally, the Digital Bullocks is going away. What do you think that means for the camera industry? Was anybody actually using this camera for anything, Mitch? Oh, are you kidding me? We lost, we lost Mitch. Well, dang it. That's the end of that for Mitch. I guess we're going to get a uh, quick read-through of the show notes and some news. Uh, the things I want to bring up about the uh, Digital Bullocks are the fact that uh, it doesn't have very many movies credited to it. So let's take a look really quick. If you haven't seen it, show or shotonwhat.com has an excellent uh, list of cameras used for all kinds of feature-length films. And you can actually search by camera, which makes it really nice. Going through this list here, you can see that the Digital Bullocks actually shows up a few times in weird spots. And it's usually the last camera on the list for some of these productions. It almost sort of feels like they just jammed in the camera last minute. Uh, or somebody maybe bought the camera and wanted to use it on set and play around with it. I don't see a ton of credits, but it does look like it is along the lines with some other cameras. Now, Mitch is back here. Mitch, you got anything to add on the Digital Bullocks collapse? Hey, I don't know what the hell happened to me there. Um, can you hear me? I can hear you. I was okay. covering for you while you were gone by talking about shotonwhat.com. Uh, Google Hangouts is trying to tell me my microphone is not working. So if you can hear me, I'll just ignore that. I can hear you just fine, sir. So oh, thank back to the digital bullocks. I threw you a question and then you completely froze on me. And <laughs> I, I was going to ask you, what do you think the collapse of the digital bullocks means for the camera market? Do you think very many things were actually shot on this camera? Well, I think you've you just proven that. I, I did tie in and see that you were talking about the shot what was it shot on god i shot on what shot on what.com anyway uh it was a very beautiful looking camera uh i liked some of the looks that i saw from some of the samples but it was not making major inroads in terms of sales so your your question was it is is the death of the digital bolex going to impact the camera market unfortunately no well, I don't think Canon or Nikon or oh, not that Nikon's even in the business anymore. I'm sorry. Tony, <laughs> uh, anybody else was really looking at what they were doing as a competitor. So I don't think anybody was really making any. any it's, it's good to have competition. We've talked about that before. It's great to have different cameras to select, to look at. Uh, Unfortunately, right now, as you and I constantly talk about, the market's flooded with cameras. Uh, many of them, which we'll talk about later in the show, 
very inexpensive at this point. So I don't think the death of the digital bullocks is, is a big surprise. Uh, I do think it's sad because, you know, I, I do like to have different options in different manufacturers, but now, and many people would say they hung on for quite a while longer than anybody expected. Now, you and I spoke with Ellie, and I mentioned this right before you dropped out too, uh, at NAB this year, and she kind of gave us this long spiel about the lack of production of CCD sensors. And right. she was continuing to complain that not enough development and research was going into CCD sensors and that uh, the industry was going the wrong direction and that uh, they were missing out on a technology that, if developed properly, could be far superior to CMOS. Do you think that spiel that she gave us was maybe a foreshadowing of the the Digibolic's demise? Because, you know, when you start complaining about a, a sensor not being available or not being updated, that kind of says to me, like, well, we couldn't find another sensor for our next camera. Right. I, maybe it did. And I was surprised to even find them there. Uh, typically... They've never had a booth, right? Uh, I think they did, actually. The year before they released, they had one booth. Because I, I was a jerk that year, and I went over to their booth <laughs> and took a picture of them holding the camera and uh, then wrote a, a long blog post about uh, Phantomware, which uh, eventually, because at, at that point, I think it was two years since they had finished their Kickstarter and were still waiting on a camera. Right. Uh, so I know they were there. They kind of got mad at me for that. And there was a lot of emails back and forth. <laughs> oh, that's not good, DJ. Uh, I was just stirring the pot there. But, uh, you well, know, it's you a, can understand why oh, they're defending. Oh. We're just uh, cutting each other off now. You go first. I mean, you can understand why they were defensive because they were trying to market something and sell something. Uh, and granted, it takes a long time. We know how long it takes to create cameras. Uh, let's look at uh, Black Magic, right? They announce stuff and have phantom wear for a long time. But uh, I still was surprised that they had a booth this year. And yeah. it's and it, it's kind of surprising the fact that they had a booth in April. And here they are in June ceasing operations. So you would think that they would have saved some money by not doing that if they were if they were really hurting, or maybe it was a last gasp effort to try to sell more cameras. Uh, I don't know. Well, the problem with uh, the digital books and some of the other cameras like it, uh, there's several kind of DIY and open source cameras that are out there. By the time they actually hit the market, after the excitement is is died off, cameras in other uh, companies at Panasonic and Canon and so on have advanced probably two or three generations. So yep. while the digital bollocks was a really cool looking camera, and I mean definitely attractive to the hipsters, uh, and it had some really interesting technology in it, by the time it hit the market, I mean a native ISO of I believe 400 on that camera, uh, you're using a, a very small CCD sensor, it allowed you to adapt to a few things, but it was already behind by the time it hit the market with uh, things from Blackmagic and Panasonic uh, coming out. So I don't know. Do you think companies, small companies, could be nimble enough anymore to outpace the big companies that are creating cameras? Well, you and I have talked about that multiple times. I've I've got sitting on my desk this massive battery thing that I bought on Kickstarter. Uh, you know, it sounded really great at the time. It was like almost two years ago now. Um, <laughs> I forgot about it took that. It took a while to come out with the thing. You know. 
the problem is development. And, and we continue to forget, I mean, again, you and I have had experience in major companies and, and, you know, with me working with Boeing for years, I know how long it takes to engineer, create, produce products. It takes a lot of work and a lot of time. And we're used to only seeing the tail end, right? When something new comes out, we're like, holy crap, that's cool. But you don't realize that it took two, three, four years for them on the front end to develop that thing. And, you know, again, we blast Canon and, and the other manufacturers for being slow to move. But it takes a lot of work to create products. And you just highlighted the fact that for the Digital Volex team, for example... You know, they want to move forward with new technology, but by the time they manage to do it, everything else has moved on. And the problem is, what does it come down to? Money, right? Smaller companies don't have the money to go do all that massive work and multiple have multiple teams working on different things. They'll sort of do it serially. And it just takes too much money, which is why companies like Nikon and Sony and Panasonic continue to make I'm sorry, I said Nikon. Canon. Uh, uh, <laughs> Another dig at Nikon. Poor Nikon. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, they, they continue to have the resources to do R&D and stuff that the smaller companies don't have. Does that mean smaller companies can't be nimble and, and do great things? Of course not. But Now, one trend I've seen in cameras, and uh, this is actually something that uh, some of you might be familiar with. Umbrella is a company that makes... Uh, chips and sensors ready to go out of the box. And every year they, they basically do all the research and all the planning and, and everything else behind the internals of the camera and then leave it to the end user to add lenses, to add software support, and so on. With something like this, it's basically the chipset is all developed and the sensor is all developed by somebody else, and then the camera company runs with it. Do you think we'll see more of that in the future with uh, companies like Sony mass producing sensors, how far away are we from them just offering up an entire platform that says, here's our uh, sensor, here's our motherboard, uh, stick it in your camera and use your lenses and bam, you're ready to roll. I think for the average consumer, that's a never, you know, which is one of the reasons why Canon is, and the other manufacturers are, still in business is because people want an end product that works. There are people like you and the followers of DSLR Film Noob that love putting things together and tinkering. And so there's a, there is a segment that loves those kind of cameras that, that like Umbrella is putting out. But normal everyday Joe like me and my wife and my kids, they don't want to go through all that effort of putting things together at the end. Sure, you can save some money, but and maybe it's fun, you know, maybe you enjoy doing that, but the vast majority of the public is is not gonna buy something like that. I think where I was going with that though is more of a platform to hand off to manufacturers, not to end users. So you basically design the chip in the entire controller and then say, Hey Canon, I got this chip and controller, now you can turn around a camera in one year instead of a uh, home, five years. <laughs> well, isn't, isn't that sort of what an OEM really does, right? Yeah, true. Well, speaking of crashing and dying, <laughs> let's move on to something Canon-related here. I, uh, oh. oh, go ahead. What do you got? No, that's fine. Go. All right, let's talk about 
the C300. This was once a mighty $15,000 camera. You can now pick it up for under $3,500. And the C300 Mark II has also seen a cut of over $4,000. The used price of the C300 is amazing, and it's less than the price of a C100 Mark II. And I'm not joking here, folks. Uh, look right here. This is straight from Adorama's used department. This is a ready-to-roll a C300 camera for $3,500 with a make an offer and no one has made an offer. Do you think uh, with the drop in price of the C300 Mark II and the C300 and 100 respectively dropping in price that Canon has a new camera on the horizon, Mitch? Well, I, I do think that that price drop of $4,000 on the C300 Mark II certainly indicates that uh, either they've got an overstock situation uh, where they need to get rid of some cameras or something new is coming out. And I did notice on the B&H site, which maybe you know, but uh, maybe you don't, if you actually go look at that, it says, uh, where did it go? Basically, it says you can't return this. Non-returnable. There it is. This item is non-returnable. Yeah. So to me, that that typically sounds more like, uh, yeah, you can buy it, and boy, we're not going to take it back because we don't want any more of those in our <laughs> warehouse because <laughs> we got either too many or we're going to come up with a new model. But it's really, I mean, I guess for folks that are looking for a good used camera. Uh, it wasn't more than what two, three years ago that the C one hundred or C three hundred was considered top notch by many uh, filmmakers. You can go buy that camera for about the price of a new DSLR body now, and start shooting with proper XLR inputs and all the rest of the features. Uh, you know, Mitch, uh, if I can't remember for sure, but I thought the C three hundred was capable of doing four K via external recording. I know internally it only records uh, 1080p. Uh, are you, do you know for sure if it does the external recording or not? Because I, I can't remember. Gosh, I hate you. Uh, it does say. It does say. Uh, I don't know. I don't either. Uh, anyway, the C300 really cheap. The C300 Mark II just got hit for four thousand dollars. Non-returnable at B and H. Be careful, guys. Uh, probably some new cameras coming. The five thousand nine hundred ninety-nine dollar. 1DX Mark II, I think I got that right, shoots 4K, so, you know, maybe that's also cutting into the market a bit. People still love their DSLRs, and maybe the 5D Mark IV will come out with uh, 4K and further undercut their cinema line. I think uh, maybe Canon might be backing away from their cinema camera lineup. No, they're not. No, 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 no. They're going to buckle down and just continue to suffer? I, they're selling a boatload of C300 Mark IIs and C100 Mark IIs. Uh, in fact, I don't know if you saw it, but they, they announced they're moving their Hollywood uh, support store from where it is now to Burbank because they say it needs to be closer to film production. Really? Well, yeah, they're they're moving to a new location where they're and they do all kinds of training and stuff out of that location uh, in L.A. So I don't think they're bailing out of this in any way, shape or form. I think they're they're trying to get closer to the market. Uh, 
you know, we, we, we talk about things being older technology, right? But there's, you can do some great stuff with a C300. Oh, absolutely. Original version. And if you can get it for $5,000, 3000 or whatever that price was, uh, it's certainly a camera to be considered. I mean, I, I still know people that are shooting with a Canon 5D Mark II, you know? You and I have talked about that before. Just because new technology comes out doesn't mean the old cameras aren't worth having. Yeah, that's true. It's it's kind of weird. Um, there was a post, I don't remember who put it up, about six months ago, and they were showing a camera that at one point was like half a million dollars. And it was used to film, I believe, like Superman, uh, the, the remake of the Superman films uh, back in 2011 or 2012. And the camera was up on eBay for, and actually I'm getting the wrong numbers wrong. It was fifty thousand dollars, not half a million dollars, and it okay. was up on eBay for like maybe uh, three thousand dollars or four thousand dollars. And that camera has only been out for you know uh, five, six years, and now it's fallen that far. I mean, fifty thousand down to four or five thousand. That's pretty incredible. I can't remember for the life of me what camera it was, but it just kind of shows you what's happening in the camera market right now. You can't really consider your body as an investment anymore. And that's... <laughs> well, my body, you know, uh, <laughs> it's quite an investment. Uh, but, and, and that's a very interesting point because a lot of people, and I've advocated this before, to buy a DSLR, for example, and use it for a year and then maybe buy another one. If you consider that the fact that you, you know, sell it when you buy a new camera, you're sort of doing a long-term rental at that point, right? You might have, we've talked about this before. And it, but if, but if you have something that retains its value, then your rental theoretical long-term rental price is a lot lower if if it drops from 50,000 down to 5,000, then that's a real problem. Uh, and that could just show you that there's a glut of cameras on the market. Maybe camera manufacturers are screwing us as end users uh, because we used to be able to rely on selling our bodies for. <laughs> well, I mean, the release cycle now, uh, we're, uh, even myself, like I used to, every four or five years, I'd go get a new camera. Now I almost expect a new camera every year. Like I'm, I'm sitting here this year. Like, well, I, I shoot on the A7S Mark II, but sure would be nice if Canon would hurry up and release the 5D Mark IV so I could get back to my Canon cameras. You know, like, uh -huh. who, what kind of deal is that? That every year I'm, I'm thinking about buying a new camera body, and do I need it? No, I probably don't need it. Am I perfectly right. fine with the camera body I have? Yes. And as you mentioned, Mitch, these old cameras. Just because they're old doesn't mean that they don't shoot any better. And if you can get a really good deal on a C100 or a C300, and that's what you need, some 1080p footage with some XLR inputs and some good features, I mean, it's really good time to be a filmmaker. And yeah. that leads me to one more question now. How much do you think an entry-level filmmaker should spend on their starter kit, Mitch? Huh. Uh, as little as possible. How's that? Well, uh, it depends. I mean, like maybe two thousand dollars. Does that sound like a reasonable amount of money to to get started as a filmmaker? Sure. I mean, you could you could theoretically do it for a thousand bucks, right? I mean, you get a five hundred dollar DSLR body and spend the rest of it on lenses. 
uh, or microphones, you know, depending upon whether you have the audio kit and everything else. I mean, everything starts adding up when you want to be a filmmaker. <laughs> it's not just the body that you have to worry about. You have to have <laughs> and the audio kit and everything else. So maybe $2,000 is a better, better figure than 1000 because, I mean, a microphone is going to cost you 100 bucks, and a recorder is going to cost you another 100 or 200 So that adds up fast. It's an article I used to write every year, and I haven't done it for a year and a half now, and I might need to do it again. I used to go through and, and kind of make a, a, a buy list of what I would recommend for new filmmakers that had a budget of under $2,000. And really, if you think about it now, the used market is awesome. You can go right. buy a GH3 body for $250. And you're shooting at 1080p, so what? Now you can go get some lenses for your Micro Four Thirds, some old uh, uh, manual focus lenses, and you can collect maybe four or five lenses for less than another 500 bucks. And bam, you're still left with about, I don't know, 1100 or $1,200, depending on what you spend on lenses. And that gives you plenty of money for a boom pole, a nice boom mic, uh, some XLR audio adapters, maybe even a tripod in there. It's just crazy now. Like when I started, you either rented or you came to the table with $10,000 to start. Now, 2000 or less, and you know, I know people that get away with just a T2i that they bought for 100 bucks, a freaking uh, $50, uh, you know, 50 millimeter F1.8 lens, and a microphone, you know, attached, you know, not even a wireless, like a lav mic just attached to their camera and run over to their shirt, and they're able to do interviews and things like that. It's, it blows my mind. It does. Boom, there it went. Speaking of blowing your mind, let's talk about another giveaway at Planet 5D. Mitch, you've got something free and interesting. Tell us about the giveaway. (laughs) Hey, starting uh, this week, we have the LightPad Vector LED light from Roscoe, which retails for about $1,095. So if you're interested in winning... This awesome light from Roscoe. I don't know a whole lot about it, to be frankly honest with you. I haven't made <laughs> I've been too busy trying to do other things. So I have not tested this light. I've not worked with it. Uh, but you can win it for free. If you go to planet5d.com slash giveaway noob, you can be entered in that. We will end that giveaway uh, next Saturday. So not this Saturday, but next Saturday, you've got a week and a day from this point where we're announcing this on this podcast to enter the giveaway over on Planet 5D. So do you know, I mean, I know you said you don't know enough about this LED panel, but is this one by one or is this, uh, what size is the panel? (laughs) I'm just throwing (laughs) you under the bus. (laughs) Well, I can tell you that it's, it's a dimmable LED system that, uh, capable of going from 3,200 K all the way up to 5,500 K adjustable. It is a CRA of 95. I was just looking at the picture, and without seeing the model number, I can't read off the size. It looks to be a a one-by-one panel, which I'm going to just go with that. (laughs) (laughs) It's embarrassing. You're embarrassing me. I'm sorry, Mitch. Okay, let's talk about (laughs) something completely different. Uh, We've got some firmware updates from Metabones. If you've uh, uh, been kind of drooling over Sigma's MC11, which was the little device that allowed you to use 
all of Sigma's Canon mount lenses, and I shouldn't say all of them, many of them, mostly the ones that say art behind them with your Canon cameras with full AF support. Well, Metabones has jumped on the wagon and added full AF support for their adapter as well, which means that you can take your Canon lenses, put them on your Sony body, and get all of the native focus modes that would normally be available. Previously, you just had single point focus and it was pretty clunky. No word yet on actual performance here. Uh, I've heard mixed things about the MC-11. Uh, Mitch, have you heard anything better than that about either one of these adapters? Well, I'm, I, I think you should read the article that you posted. <laughs> Uh-oh. I, did, I, I, I obviously missed something when I read through this. That's okay. Uh, there's an update at the bottom of that where they did some testing. It says, we've tried out the new firmware, firmware on a smart adapter. Oh, for... that update wasn't there when I read this article. Damn it. Uh-huh. Dang it. Sorry. Darn it. Darn it. But that's okay because I've caught you and we're going to just discuss this. But basically, uh, the update says, yeah, it kind of works on some of the lenses. Uh, some of the... Uh, autofocus points in the center are accessible, but if you're trying to use the autofocus points around the, the edges, those don't work. Uh, it says autofocus in video is possible, but it's slow as heck with significant hunting. So they're not overly impressed, to be honest with you. And, uh, scroll I, down. I like the, I do not recommend trying this until you read the- <laughs> Yeah, the caveats right there, right at the top of your screen, the update was just put in there. Uh, okay, well, that's oh. a disappointing thing. You have uh, <laughs> knocked that down from awesome to not so awesome. That's unfortunate. <laughs> well, and that's and that's you know the nature of this business. You get excited about something by reading the specs. The marketing makes it sound really, really great, and then when reality hits, uh, it's not as but it, it's really, I think it's impressive in reading the fact that they're, they're, they've come up with a concept of allowing the Canon autofocus functionality by, by basically they're simulating a Sony lens yeah. somewhere in the firmware. So it's a pretty cool, neat little trick. And maybe once they get a little bit more work on it, it will work better. You know, we saw that with Magic Lantern, right? The first couple of versions of Magic Lantern, for example, weren't so cool. As a matter of fact, by the way, uh, just this morning I posted an article uh, written by a guy who shot with the 5D Mark III in Magic Lantern Raw and upreses his stuff to 4K. And it looks pretty damn impressive. So wow. here's, here's a situation where a 5D Mark III is shooting, quote-unquote, 4K. It's not really shooting 4K, okay. But he's getting pretty good re- results by taking the Magic Lantern firmware, shooting in raw video mode, and then up to 4K. So you might want to check that out. But the point being that people are, are twisting things and being creative with different software, and I love the fact that people are out there tweaking these things uh, and doing things that weren't necessarily thought of outside the box. And I applaud people for doing that, especially for sharing that information once they learn how to do something. That's That makes it even better. Yeah, the if you go look at Magic Lantern now and you install it on your camera, it is way easier to use. And the user interface is amazingly clean. 
And you, you go back to when I started using Magic Lantern like five or six years ago, four or five years ago, something like that. It was rough. I mean, yeah. you had glitches on the screen. You had some weird stuff going on on occasion. You had all kinds of weird uh, errors. Sometimes your camera would just lock up and you'd have to remove the battery. Now it is, it's really smooth. This is a nerd thing, but it kind of reminds me of the old days of Linux. If you ever installed Linux, you had like 15 disks and you were like crossing your fingers and hoping you made the right selection. Now, if you install Linux on a system, you just put the disk in, hit go, and it installs and like 95% of your drivers work and you don't have any issue at all. It's so, so different experience from when I was younger. Uh, I'm dating myself there. Well, yeah. Do you remember OS2? OS2. No, I, I, I'm not dating myself that far back. Oh, boy. I'm, I'm sure you do, but OS2 was an uh, uh, operating system that IBM tried for a little while, and, and we were using it Boeing for a while, and I re- you, you, you were talking about 15 disks. I remember going to probably 20 computers. It was a 17-disk floppy install. <laughs> spent days going to computers installing that because we could you couldn't clone them you couldn't do you know all that stuff that we do now where you can just quickly install stuff so yeah i'm dating myself again but oh that was horrific i remember that kind of stuff i uh i'm not quite old enough to have been a unix junkie way back in the day i started with 3.1 hurrah so I'm a, a little ahead of the curve. All right, moving on down the line here, we've got a few more things to talk about. One that I wanted to bring up that's actually really cool. I just got my hands on this. This is the Ceramonic uh, Mix Mic. Now, if you look at this picture here, and I've actually, I don't know why I'm showing the picture because I've got one right here. Uh, the Ceramonic Mix, Mass, or Mix Mic is basically a dual XLR above camera mount uh module that allows you to basically duplicate the functionality of what you get out of a C100 or a C300 or many of the other adapters that we've seen over the years on Panasonic uh, PDX 100s and so on. This is basically just the module with a 3.5 millimeter output. Now, Mitch, we were talking about the expense of microphones and the expense of XLR adapters. How much would you spend on just a boom mic, an average, you know, mid to low price boom mic? Uh, two to $400. Two to $400. And how much would you spend on an XLR audio adapter? Well, stuff like the Juiced Link Riggy Micro is 300 to 400 250 now, to $400. Now, what if I told you that you could get the boom mic and the XLR audio adapter for 299 that's crazy, right? Actually, it is, it is really good price. Um, I got to play with this at NAB. I just got this, so I haven't opened it up to test out in person, but the, the tests I did at NAB, I was really impressed with this. Uh, it is made out of plastic for that price, but the, the boom mic that comes with it is surprisingly decent, and I'll have some audio samples up for you by the end of the weekend. But man, uh, Ceremonic is actually knocking it out of the park with this. It's a... Uh, Super affordable, provides a ton of features, and it has phantom power built in so you can power your mics if you want to use it with other mics. Also, the ring adapter on here is able to uh, 
clamp on to something like an Audio Technica 4073 or an MKH416 from Sennheiser or any of the other uh, boom mics that you would want to carry around. So if you want to change that out for a mic that's more directional or less directional, you can switch out between those two. Now, obviously, those are $1,000 mics to put on a $300 device, but... <laughs> but we do that. But exactly. And it's uh, it's pretty sexy. I actually... You know, for a while, I thought the whole audio adapter market had kind of just petered out because, you know, you put a box underneath your camera, it has XLR inputs. Like, what else can you do with that? And for the most part, no one's really done anything that's just been like, wow, that's really interesting or amazing. So it's kind of cool to see something uh, different and a configuration that's not the norm. Now, Mitch, would you prefer your audio adapter above your camera or below your camera? Well, I'm a I'm a below my camera kind of guy, uh, or, or on the side actually. My Juice Link Riggy Micro is actually hanging on the side of my um, cage that I use uh, in the basement. So, do you think this is going to put uh, Juice Link uh, into some hurt? I don't know. Um, Juice Link's kind of been quiet over the last what uh, two years or so. When's the last yeah. time you've uh, run into Rob at NAB? I didn't run into him this year at all, and I was kind of surprised about that. I know. In the past, I see him all the time walking around and talking to people and everything. So, yeah. And they haven't, uh, other than that strange wireless option that they had, um, I forget what it was called, but it was that little like tone signal start recording individual recorder for each person device. Uh-huh. Uh, they haven't really done anything new or, or interesting, and it used to be you would see a new uh, Juice Link audio adapter once every year or so. So I don't know. Maybe they, right. they've reached the culmination of their production with the the uh, Riggy 333? I don't know. That was called the Little Darling. Little Darling. I was trying to little, remember that. I was, I was checking my cord to see if I have enough room to reach clear across the room to grab my Riggy 333, I actually have it configured on the top of my rig on the handle, similar to the design of the Ceremonic. Uh, companies have been releasing XLR audio adapters that have been getting better and better and cheaper and cheaper. Uh, it is going to be a tough market in the future. And now manufacturers, you know, uh, Panasonic, for example, had the XLR audio adapter for their camera. You know, it's, Sony sells one now for the A7S Mark II. It's the XLR1 or K1M. Uh, I don't know why I even remember that. But uh, it's it, it basically does the same thing, and it's just done through the smart shoe adapter. I mean, at some point, I think manufacturers are going to uh, sop up that extra gravy by starting to create their own XLR adapters for their DSLRs. Well, it's it's the typical thing that happens with any market as it matures. You know, the prices come down, uh, more technology comes in, you start getting more and more clone manufacturers that are able to, you know, that don't have the research and development costs. Uh, so it's it's typical of any, any new product, especially if it becomes a quote-unquote commodity where you can just go about and pick up pieces from anywhere. But you're... You're like the first guy on the planet that has this ceremonic, aren't you? Yeah, I, mine is hot off the press, so I'll also be providing feedback to ceremonic to let them know 
if there's anything that needs to be changed or updated. And incidentally, I've helped them in the past with their uh, wireless audio system. Their dual channel system previously was only capable of of uh, sending out mono audio from a stereo receiver, which is a huge oversight. And when I let them know, they went ahead and updated the firmware for all of their uh, receivers so that you can separate the channels out, which... I mean, kudos to those guys. They're fast, they're nimble, and anytime you find something that they can fix, they jump on it and fix it. So great stuff from Ceremonic. I'm interested to start testing this out. One thing I'm really upset about, though, and this has nothing to do with Ceremonic, but imagine for a moment, if you will, Mitch, dead zones for your phone or camera. You head Uh over to a location, and suddenly... You can't take a picture. You can't shoot any video. Uh, who would do this to you? Well, it turns out Apple would do this to you. Uh, Apple has filed a patent for recording or disabling recording at concerts and other events. Uh, part of me is happy about this because nothing is worse than standing in the front or the second row with a bunch of people holding their phone up, trying to do selfies of them at the concert while you're trying to enjoy the concert. But the other part of me is sort of horrified that they would allow uh, users to run around with a device that they could disable at random whenever they feel the need. Mitch, how do you feel about uh, dead zones for your phone for photography and video? Uh, I'm I'm with you. Uh, this is this is scary, uh, but at the same time, I I understand. I mean, there are bands that there's different ways of living your life. One is being totally open, uh, open source software, open source everything. The other is being totally closed, like Apple. Uh, it works in different in- environments. I'll give you an example. Um, why all of a sudden can I not? Dave Matthews is a well-known uh, recording artist, right? You know Dave Matthews, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. So how did Dave Matthews grow his audience? He encouraged taping of shows and encouraged people to hand out tapes and pass them around and say, hey, I know this great guy, this great band. Dave's one of the guys that is is looked upon very famously for growing an audience and becoming famous by encouraging that kind of behavior. There are other bands that I'm aware of, and, and Frank Zappa was one of them, and, and his son, Dweezil, <laughs> is another, where if he sees you, I mean, Dweezil is famous. If if he sees you recording, not necessarily with your smartphone, but if you have like a hidden microphone or if you're using a, a video camera, He'll shut down the show and, and have the security people come over and, and poo-poo you and have you stop recording. Because what they want to do is they want to have the rights to be able to resell those concert tapes later, right? So I see both sides of it, but I would be pretty pissed off if I went to a show and was thinking, well, I'm going to record part of it for my my own use and have it blocked. I think that would be kind of... Uh, I, I would be kind of pissed off. But I, I also agree with you that I, I have been to shows and I am so sick of people <laughs> spending their life in front of their camera instead of just enjoying the show. So I'm torn. Well, when I was younger, I toured with a band for a while and uh, way younger, a long time ago, Mohawks, <laughs> green hair, all, all the works. But uh, where I'm going with this is 
on the side, I was still a photographer. So uh, between sets, I would take photos of the bands that were playing. Uh, you know, I we tour with these guys for five or six venues at a time, so it's not like I'm missing out on listening to their music. But being able to have the right to go take some of those shots and simply post them or, you know, there was a few instances where I was a little irritated because the band, without crediting me, stole my photos and then posted them, which, you know, that happens quite regularly. But at the same time, like, I, no one was beating me up or stopping me from taking uh, pictures. But at this, uh, on the other note, I've been to festivals where somebody with a almost DSLR camera can get in, but as soon as you're able to take the lens off and put it back on again, you're not allowed in the front door. And yep. I feel like now they're bringing that down to the phone level with something like this. And that's really frustrating. I mean, you buy a device, it's your device, it takes pictures, what have you. And if there's no ban on you taking it into an auditorium, an event or whatever, it's kind of curtailing your rights as uh, as the owner of a product to use it. I, I mean, unless they say like explicitly, no recording, you know, no filming or whatever, you know, no photography. And I've seen stuff like that. And then at the same time, I've been kicked out of places where they had no notice for that. They just arbitrarily decided or a security guy decided, like, you don't belong here, buddy. You got too nice of a camera. Get the heck out. And, yep. and that's why I have the Alex 100 is because no one calls me on it because it's a, just a little camera. It's a, it takes great pictures. It's a great, uh, basically, a micro four-thirds camera. It just doesn't have an interchangeable lens. And suddenly I'm okay. Bam. Can't kick me out of this place. It's out. <laughs> Oh, where did it go, DJ? All right, <laughs> fighting the man. Well, yeah, but but there are multiple rights though that are going on, and and in in the conversation about doing concert video or photography, uh, you know, the people that are performing have the rights to own their presentation, right? Now, you are talking about you as a viewer have the right potentially to be able to record that uh but you know so there's a conflict between your rights and their rights so isn't there a i used to have a card that had all these on there and i don't have it with me anymore but the right for a um, public presentation so if it's a, a a public event then you can't stop a photographer from taking pictures but I, i forget how it's worded Yes, but they, but that also depends on the definition of public. And if you are going to a concert that is in a building that is secured and you have paid to get in, then it is no longer public. Realistically, that's a private event because it's controlled. Now, if, if you're out in public, like on the streets, and there's somebody playing music, then that, you know, there there are no restrictions in I mean, there's obviously the lawyers would have a field day with this, but my understanding has always been that a an event that is internal in a building, for example, my daughter's dance studio, they could restrict me from taking photos because it was a private event. And we had arguments back and forth about that, but that's all another story. But so your definition, I'm, you're trying to imply that that's a public event, and I'm trying to suggest that that may be a private event that you don't necessarily have the rights to film or photograph. Yeah, it's a it's a rough gray area to find out okay. where you're – and I've been chased out of 
public areas before too for taking shots of stuff like oh you can't be here you can't do that and uh, you know i'm i'm just on the street hanging out uh, one example there was a race uh, that they took off or they they cut off my street and had runners running so i was like ah this is cool i went out and took some shots and like they escorted me off of my property to around no. the block and said you were uh, not allowed to take pictures of this like really and i told him like this is a public event well I mean, it just because it goes through public doesn't mean it's a public event. Well, I mean, if you can see it from yeah. anywhere reasonable, then it, yeah, I don't know. We've yeah. we've hollered about this a number of times. I am not for this, though. Uh, I wish I could disable the phones in front of me at concerts. Uh, it's still uh, wrong. I don't think it's appropriate, and uh, it's unfortunate that Apple is going to go that way. Now, let's talk about something that is fortunate. How about Mitch? If I told you you could have all of the gigs in your phone, like uh, maybe 256 gigs, for example, would that make you happy? Uh, no, it scares the hell out of me because 256 gigabytes is a lot of data that I could lose if that card fails on me. So if you're not familiar with uh, Sand, <laughs> uh, well, everybody's familiar with SanDisk, but if you're not familiar with the buyout of SanDisk, Western Digital bought SanDisk recently and since then, they've been kind of doing some weird marketing stuff. I mean, SanDisk always did some weird marketing stuff. Uh, they've released a 256-gig card, and they, of course, have stuck with their awesome naming scheme, the Ultra Micro SDXC UHS-1 Card Premium Edition. And then, and and that's the uh, that's the secondary model, not the primary model. Uh, the lower price model has reads of 95 megs per second, no word on writes, and will set you back around 149 dollars. While uh, the more expensive 200 dollar version has reads of 90 megs, or excuse me, 100 megs per second, and writes of 90 megs per second, which they are touting as the ultimate 4K micro SD card for any camera. So uh, I think that implies that you could possibly stick this into a micro to regular SD card adapter and plug it into your camera to shoot. Uh, it's pretty cool, but I'm with you, Mitch. That's a lot of gigs to have in one spot. Uh, in your phone, I'm not as upset about it because I have things like uh, Google Photos that's constantly backing up my stuff. But uh, in a camera and then a micro SD card, that's that's $200 in something the size smaller than a post stamp. You lose that? In fact, um, I'm dealing with that right now. I had <laughs> six micro SD cards that accumulatively totaled uh, 180 or $200, and they were on a nice card that they all slide into. Well, I put the card in my pocket and I lost the card. Uh-oh. So, you know, imagine now, if you will, having four or five of these in there, you could theoretically lose $1,000 yeah. in one pop of these tiny, tiny little cards. I don't really have anything else to say about this, Mitch, unless you do. Uh, it's, it's interesting that we can get micro SD cards that big, but uh, uh, they're very expensive. There and, and and I think the biggest fear, like you said, is losing them because I, I have trouble keeping track of these dadgum SD cards, much less my CF cards. Uh, and I and I just I, I I would lose those micro SD cards in a in a flash. <laughs> <Is that for laughs> flash memory. Oh, oh clever. Oh. 
Clever. All right. Moving on to something that does use micro SD cards. I've got a camera to talk about, and I talked about this with Devin. I don't know if Mitch, you, and I have talked about this. This is the YI camera. Uh, it's a GoPro competitor. Uh, I did actually pre-order one of these. 249 gets you a 4K camera with a beautiful screen on the back that uh, doesn't come with a GoPro. It has image stabilization. It has a longer battery life, about an hour and a half to two hours, depending on what you're shooting and what mode you're using. And it is half the price of a Hero 4 Black Edition. This thing is... I want to say it's kind of sexy for an action camera. It's pretty small, and I should have one on July 12th. Uh, If you're in the market for a GoPro Hero Black Edition, Mitch, would you rather spend half as much money on something that, I mean, from the specs at least, looks uh, pretty fantastic? I especially I like the and I I'm not up to date on the latest GoPros so uh, I don't think they have touchscreens do they? Do they? Uh, you have to buy a special backpack and the backpack resolution is god awful and it's a resistive touchscreen so it is rough to use. Oh, well this this has a 2.9 inch LCD touchscreen with 640 by 360 which is good for reviewing. It's got Gorilla Glass, so it's not going to get scratched very easily, theoretically. That's nice. Yeah, and actually, I'll put a link to the uh, uh, full uh, description of it, because the Amazon description doesn't quite cut it. They've got a really good selection of information on it here, and you can see, uh, it's basically, remember that, uh, I, I always say umbrella, but it's umbrella because it starts with an A, not a U. But uh, right. that company basically designs a platform for this, and they are using the next generation of that platform, whereas the Hero 4 Black Edition is still on the previous generation. So they're able to soak up some battery life. The screen, even though the the resolution pixel for pixel is small, the screen is so small that you actually uh, get retina-level display out of it, which is pretty interesting and on top of that the battery life i mean i i took a gopro out to do some uh some uh time lapse stuff in you know in a busy environment and the gopro if i didn't have it plugged into a usb port and charging continuously i would go through a pile of maybe six or seven batteries over the course of half a day shooting with the gopro which is very frustrating and in fact Right behind me now, I have, I have sets. I have four of these total, and they're they're a three pack uh, GoPro battery charger set. Because I complain about GoPro and how expensive it is and how it's uh, losing relevance, but I use my GoPro all the time. So you know, I have a lot of batteries for it. It's, it's still a handy tool, and this thing it has. Oh, this is the other thing that I always complain about with a GoPro. Look at that. See that right there? That is a quarter twenty mount. I can freaking put this on anything without having to put it into a case. And look at that gorgeous screen. Why, why can't you do that, GoPro? And at half the price, I mean, I, I couldn't resist it. I, I pulled the trigger on this. So I will be reporting back on the YI 4K action cam soon. Mitch, you going to buy one? I, I no, I don't have it for one of these right now in my life. So Well, you just I'm, mentioned, uh, what, ballet dancing or... Yeah. So yeah. what if you just strapped one to your daughter's head so you could get a first-person perspective <laughs> of the ballet? 
Uh, it might not go over well. No, I maybe if it was virtual reality, maybe if I could get a 360 degree view of. No, never mind. Actually, you know, I did see a shoot that was really cool, and it was uh, they strapped it to a trumpet player, yeah. and they strapped it to the front of his trumpet, and he was in the middle of the marching band uh, as they were going down the street. So you get the entire perspective, and then you know they're doing the trumpet moves where they're going up and down and around and stuff. So you get this really cool perspective of the entire marching band from the the horn of the trumpet, and yep. it was a very enjoyable shot. And I wish. I had an excuse to go out and do that. Maybe I should have some kids, let them grow up, and strap a GoPro to them so I can well, enjoy that. The, the crew, I, I've, I've told you before that I shoot the, the Gateway Indoor Drumline in the fall, fall and winter, and they have a whole crew that does filmmaking stuff, and they quite often do the GoPro on drumsticks or on the front of the snare drum or a bass drum, and, and they do all kinds of stuff like that for so I, I don't get to shoot that because they've already got a crew doing it. But it's it's quite common to do that kind of stuff these days. It's I really like that perspective sometimes. Sometimes yeah. if you do it too much, it gets annoying. Now, yeah. the last thing on my list here, and then we're going to get out of here because uh, I'm about ready for my next dose of medication, uh, <laughs> is this strange thing from Wooden Camera. Now, if you are familiar with Wooden Camera, they are a company that makes very expensive uh, fancy rigs for many things, and uh, they've uh, they've gone out of their way to make one for a phone. So this is the wooden camera uh, smartphone clamp, and it'll set you back about ninety five dollars. Uh, it is made out of all metal, and it does have a spring loaded tensioner that closes down on your phone. Uh, it comes with some, or you can buy some extra accessories, which you could rack up a price of somewhere in the range of two hundred dollars if you want to buy these little slide-on accessories, and so on. So it can get fairly spendy. Now, the reason I bring this up is because, Mitch, you use a smartphone holder. I use a smartphone holder, and I was looking at the price of mine. I've got it right here. It is $6. $6, two-quarter 20 mounts, uh, capable of clamping onto pretty much anything. Would there be any reason for you to spend $100 on a phone clamp for any reason? Uh, well, if you watch the video, and I don't know if you made time to do that, they're very specifically building this, uh, not just necessarily for any kind of use. They're, they're attaching it to the side of a RED camera to be able to use the RED controller software. Um, and... <laughs> Okay, so I saw that too, and I was thinking, why wouldn't you just use the red screen <laughs> that comes with your camera? I mean, maybe uh, the, is the phone app a better solution? I, <laughs> I don't know. I was trying to, I was trying to come up with a way of justifying it, especially. I mean, it, it's intriguing because the way this device is built, it's got the quarter twenty, and it's got the additional mounts. Uh, that that most of the others don't that that go with their particular accessories but if you if you look at it i mean the mount that i have and i think the one that you just showed from um the six dollar one oh uh, hold on let me find it here this one is the Acumar universal tripod mount with a name that goes on as a sentence so uh we won't read all of that <laughs> <laughs> TJ, oh, you cracked me up. 
the thing that, that when I first saw the wooden camera one, because of the fact that the quarter 20 mount is exactly in the back, and with the way the prongs work on this thing, there is no way you can mount this to a tripod, right? Yeah. Whereas yeah. the one, the $6 one has the quarter 20 mount in the back, like this one does, but it also has one on the bottom. So you can mount it to a tripod. So this one is very specifically made to attach uh, directly in the back, right? Yeah. I mean, go ahead and, if you go ahead and show that, there's... Uh, there's just no way because of the way the forearms work to mount this to a tripod if there even was a mounting hole on the bottom. So this is very specifically designed for a very specific purpose. But it seems to me the $6 one would do the same thing uh, except for the fact that there are those extra mounting holes or whatever additional accessories that wooden camera has uh so I, I can't justify it. I'm sorry. I was trying to. Yeah, I looked at it, and then even with the accessories, I was like, well, couldn't you just use a cheap, like, Acura plate like this in order to accomplish the same, you know, sort of quick release system? And then I priced it all up, and I was like, well, you could do that for 25 bucks. Like, why would you spend 100 on just the – and I saw the red stuff, and I was like, well, this is kind of weird, you know. Why, you know, why would you use your phone over? And and maybe there is a really good reason that I'm not familiar with. But uh, and to me, it was like, well, why wouldn't you just use your, your red screen? I mean, it, you paid for it. You know, hopefully you bought one with your camera. It, maybe you're using your phone to control the camera and you're using an off-brand screen with your red camera. I don't know. Uh, it's weird. Uh, anyway, that was... That was just something that caught me off guard. I got a press release for that, saw it, and was like, why would you send me this? I'm not, I can't think of anything but to make fun of it. So, well, uh, I do think that if, if you are, there's something that we're missing. Obviously. Because I know the guys at Wooden Camera. I know they're they're smart, intelligent people. Yeah, and to be fair, they make really good stuff. Like guys, yeah. I, I'm I'm dogging on them a little bit, but honestly, uh, if you want a really well designed rig that very tightly fits your camera body, they do an excellent job. It's it's a premium price, but they do make premium products. Yeah, and and so. My assumption is that there's something that you and I aren't really considering, and that happens <laughs> more than I could probably stick at. Uh, but they're not—they're not dumb. They would also realize that there are some particular you know, things that would probably potentially work. So there's something that you and I just don't understand. And if they're watching, I'm sure they'll write us and tell us what. Oh, there was a company. Uh, I think it's called Lock Circle that made these. Yeah very beautiful $200 machined body caps for your Canon body. And I looked at them and I was like, that looks gorgeous, but it's $200 for a machined aluminum body cap. Were they $99? Yeah. See, you, you, you should have, I've got four of them. You've got four. uh, Okay. Uh Tell me what the the reasoning is for the, I mean, yes, it's made out of metal. That's awesome. But what else? Dang, I wish I they're in the other room. You you caught me off guard. They actually manufactured a thousand of them that had Planet Find D labels on them. Oh, wow. Back in the old days. So I have, because they had leftovers because nobody bought them. <laughs> they're, they're, they sold quite a few, but uh, they didn't sell all of them. But 
I, I really like them because because of the weight of them, because they're sturdy. They're not like the plastic caps. I've had plastic, the, the Canon caps, because they don't lock in place. They just twist on. They've fallen off in my bag, and, and potentially you're getting dust and stuff. And these are physical locking caps. Uh, I like them. I, did, I didn't pay for them, okay? I, honestly, they sent them to me for free. Uh, but I use them on everybody. I don't use plastic caps anymore because they're they're built like a tank and they stay on. But maybe I'm. So the moral of the story is the lock circles are actually pretty good, huh? Yeah, they, I, I I I would I pay a hundred dollars. I think they the price is now fifty bucks. I think you can get them for fifty bucks. Uh, and they sold like hotcakes. There are a lot of people that bought them and really liked them. So. It's it's another one of those situations where it may sound stupid, but until you use it, you go, well, it, it is a better solution. Is it worth a hundred bucks? I don't know, but there are a lot of people that did buy them. And I, I use mine all the time. They're on my bodies right now in my bag in the other room. Hmm. Okay, well, I, uh, I take back what I said about the machine caps. Uh, maybe they're completely <laughs> awesome. One other thing like that that I did actually like, and I... I thought it was a great idea. You remember those end caps for lenses that actually had the focal length of the lens on them? Those, yes. they're expensive, but they're great. And when yeah. I first saw them, I'm like, this is this is dumb. Like, why do I need this? And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, why don't I need this? Because every time you go to your bag, you're sitting there digging for your freaking lens trying to figure out, you know, because your 35 millimeter and your 24 millimeter are almost the same height. So you can't tell by height. And your 85 and your uh, 50 millimeter, the 1.2 and 1.2 are, are almost the same shape and size. So you, you can't pick them out. But if you have a cap that tells you, you're like, oh, this is this is amazing. So those like that, that was a, a something that changed my mind about some of these items is like, wow, that's, uh -huh. that's smart. It's actually really yeah. smart. And I like it a lot. Uh, yeah. now you got me wondering if I need a, a metal <laughs> cap for my cannon body. <laughs> if, if, if we were together, DJ, I'd, I'd hand you one of them and, uh, turn the other I, direction. I use all the time. I, I love my, my lock circle, uh, body caps. All right, on that note, I think we're dwindling down, Mitch, unless you got anything else about the body caps. Uh, we'll move on. We, okay. I can offer other products later on. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I think um, I, we got one more thing in here. Do we want to talk about the GH4 price at 849, $884? I mean, no, it, it's I, not that price anymore, so you can't get it that price. It was really a good deal, but as soon as I put this in the show notes, the price went back up. Uh, keep an eye on eBay, guys. The GH4 gets really affordable in the gray market occasionally on some special sales. All right. On that note, Mitch, where can people find you? Oh, and mention the giveaway one more time. Uh, why? Why in God's green earth would I ever tell anybody where I'm from? I don't know if you can oh. It's one of those shows. Planet5t.com slash giveaway noob, but that's N double O B. You can enter the giveaway for the Roscoe LED light, the light pad, whatever the right size is. Uh, that will be available until a week and a day. So, not 
tomorrow, not Friday, and not today's Friday, but not tomorrow, Saturday, but a week from Saturday, July the 9th, I think it is. You can sign up for that. Uh, and if you share socially, then you get 10 additional chances to win. So do that, please. I almost forgot, Mitch. Do you know uh, Mon- or Monday is the 4th of July? Are you going to go do some beautiful time lapse or uh, long exposures of uh, fireworks going off? <laughs> I have done that so many times. And no, I, that's not something that I'm going to do this year. I'm just going to go enjoy my family and do the oohs and the ahs and the sitting in the the lounge chair watching the smoke blow by. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a I'm in a city now where uh you can't buy fireworks until two days before the fourth of July and you're not allowed to shoot them off until the day of the fourth of July. So uh I won't be doing much of my own fireworks this year. It's, uh, what, what's the logic between behind two days? I don't know. I just found it out. Um it was oh. implemented by the the city council. Uh apparently uh, people were very irresponsible and started several home fires last year. Uh, and by several, I mean like 10, which is, <laughs> I, I, it is kind of unbelievable that people are dumb enough to burn their house down with their fireworks. But, you know, I, sh- I, I can't. DJ. Have you not seen some of these idiots with their fireworks? Oh. I saw I saw a video the other day of a guy who took a, a whole bunch of those bottle rockets and he created like this he had them in, in tubes and and taped all the tubes together and was standing behind this thing firing it like a machine gun and like <laughs> how stupid can you be to have fireworks you know flashing back at you oh but this is cool and everybody's typing on facebook and twitter about oh this is so cool i wish i could do i'm like thinking the guy's gonna burn his face off yeah how stupid and, and and everybody's encouraging it. Don't well, get me started on fireworks. People are so stupid about fireworks. It's just. Oh. I, I used to watch a kid sit across the street and just uh, he would light them in his hand and throw them. And occasionally, you know, you get the one with the fast fuse, and it'd blow up in his hand. Oh. He'd look at his hand, like shake it, and then start over again, like continuing on, like nothing happened. It's, it's like you didn't learn your lesson, kid. You know. You, just blew up in your hand. Like, what are you doing? Quit throwing fireworks, you dumb dumb. Ah, all right, I'm done. <laughs> on that note, guys, you can find the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, anywhere uh, podcasts are distributed. We appreciate you tuning in every week for the show. And leave your show comments in the YouTube channel because we check those out, read them. And if you have any questions, concerns, or complaints, direct them towards dslrfilmnoob at gmail.com, especially if it's firework related, because I'll take that heat. <laughs> on that note, we'll see you next time on another exciting episode of DSLR Film Noob.